I uh, sure hope you're doing well. I want to welcome those uh, who are worshiping uh, at, in the chapel this morning and also those at Pleasant View and the special services going on down there. We welcome you. Glad you're part of us. And uh, to kind of get us all headed in the same direction this moment, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then I'll share with you what's on my heart. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for these good folks and the high honor of being able to worship with them today. And I pray that whatever environment people are worshiping in today, be it the chapel, be it Pleasant View, be it here in the auditorium, or be it online, that they would um, experience you speaking to them. And in order for that to happen, Lord, um, we need to open our hearts to you, um, not to a person, not to a personality, but just to you. We ask you, Lord, to use your truth to speak to our hearts. And when we leave, wherever it is we're worshiping today, when we leave this place, uh, we just want to be a little bit more like you. So I pray by the power of your spirit, you would allow that to happen. We would be a bit more like you when we leave and, and, and know and know that you spoke to us. So uh, hide me deep in your cross today in your name. Amen. Well, happy summer break to you. Um, uh, we kind of still manage summer break according to whether the kids are in school or not. And we still have one in there. So he is now out, although I think he's been out for a while. But um, he is now out of school and you teachers are celebrating and you students are celebrating and that's fantastic. So um, I have, I've come to the realization that there are places in my life that tend to suck the joy out of me. And so um, I've made a list here. So like I can just like walk by these places. Here's my first one. The DMV. If you have to go to the DMV, you will not be filled with joy going in or leaving. So the DMV is one. Uh, for me, doctor's offices, even though I have a very close relationship with someone who is in the doctor's office frequently, I rarely go to see her because doctor's office just sort of creep me out. Uh, the dentist office creeps a lot of people out, but I actually love my, my dentist, and so I love going to see uh, him, and he does a great job. So, uh, but most people don't like a dentist. Hospitals in general. I, I drive by a hospital. I get sweat on the top of my forehead, you know. Uh, court. A lot of you spent time there. Um, court would be a place that would kind of suck the joy, you know, right, right out of you. A Walmart. <laughs> Everybody, everybody, and of course, school. School can suck the joy out of people for students and teachers and administrators alike, especially in late May. So uh, those are all places, but here, I, I find that I kind of go by those places, and man, like joy just like gets sucked out of my soul, and I start leaking joy. But it's not just places that suck joy out of us, it's also people, fair? <laughs> There are some people that if you could put a t-shirt on them, it would say joy sucker. You know, that would be what it would say because they just take joy from you no matter. There, there, there are some people kind of in, in your lives that just kind of take it from you. I mean, you get a, a text or a phone call and you can see who it is that's calling or trying to reach out to you and you kind of do this little inward groan. So there, there are some people who build into you. There are some people where it's like a mutual edification thing. And then there are some people that they will back their toxic waste dump truck up to your life every time they talk to you and just dump. Fair? That's just fair. Don't point. That's just fair. There are some people, some people that are like that. Now, if this is just my issue, um, just pray I'll get better. <laughs> but I suspect it's many of our issues. And by the way, if I am ignoring your calls... Um, well, that may be something we need to explore. So, you know, that, that, that's kind of going on. So there are people, places, and events that sort of just take the joy out of us and the joy from this life. So daily, I, I would suggest we sort of face this, this barrage of joy suckers. 
And, and, and one joy sucker isn't a big deal, but the cumulative effect of joy suckers in our lives uh, is kind of having this impact. So have, have you ever been in this time of, of joylessness, maybe fighting a disease, something real serious, maybe grieving a loss, um, maybe a time when you've been worried or anxious about tomorrow or job or kids or marriage or friendships or whatever, and then, and then when you're going through that season... Someone finds out about that, and they just kind of drop a verse on you like a Christian fortune cookie. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like they're doling these things out. And I, you all know I have a gift of cynicism. And so I kind of have this kind of reaction to that. And I just think, you know, this verse will magically turn your joylessness into being joy-filled. And often these verses are put on, are put on coffee cups. You know, so like you can go to the Christian bookstore or anywhere now, and you can just go in. So every time you get a, a jolt of caffeine, you know, all things work together for good. You know, and that's true. I'm not saying it's not true. It's in the Bible. It's got to be true. Or, or maybe this one, no weapon fashioned against you will stand. And then like, oh, <laughs> this is the all time. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Easy. <laughs> is my strength. This is my, my sermon. <laughs> you know, it's, it's my strength. <laughs> and so we kind of have that reaction. You know, we have that kind of thing. Someone actually gave me one of those uh, to put in my office. Someone on staff, it actually says, I saw that God. <laughs> so I, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, so we have these cups and, and I don't, I'm not... I'm not even discouraged or anything by those kinds of things. Now, of course, we put it on Facebook and we'll put some verse on there. And I do the same thing. But sometimes it just seems sort of trite to me. Sometimes it just seems like I'm supposed to read that verse and poof, you know, everything's wonderful again. And it, it's not. It doesn't work that way in my life. And if I can be honest with you, these types of things and their timing really don't bring me joy. I might read them and see them and say, oh, yeah, that's true. But it doesn't really have an effect on me. I'm actually thinking about launching a new business in case this one doesn't work out. And, and I was thinking, you know, maybe um, kind of a business for those people who aren't completely holy yet. You know, people that still are work in progress, if you will. Um, in the Bible, there are these things called imprecatory prayers. Now, some of you the reason you're at church right now is because of what I'm getting ready to teach you. So you should be taking notes or pictures or whatever. So in precatory prayers, the purpose of these prayers that are in the Bible is to actually call judgment or curses on your enemies. Okay, so stay with me. So the Bible teaches us how to pray asking God to open a can on people we don't like. The Bible teaches us this. So I, I would, you should read your Bible. I mean, because this is in there. So, so, so these are prayers in the Bible that ask God to wipe out your enemies. Aren't you glad? So this is like one of the verses some of you will only verse you'll memorize this year. So what I've done is I've actually sent this to a marketing department to kind of figure what it would like to put some of these imprecatory prayers on coffee cups. And so here's, here's, here's item number one for us to consider. Uh, this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 35. The Lord will cover your knees and legs with incurable boils. In fact, you will be covered from head to foot. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great verse? <laughs> okay, let me give you another one because I can see that one didn't fly as well. So how about this mug number two? Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. Bless you. You know, you can just kind of send out the imprecatory prayer to people that are stealing joy. One last one, and this is one of my favorite ones. This is Psalm 58. 
may they be like snails that dissolve into slime. Now, unfortunately, the only thing some of you are going to do is you're going to send me an email saying, Tom, where can I buy those mugs? You know, you're going to ask me where I can buy those mugs. Now, of course, I'm being cynical, but to get at our Joy Bomb series started, here's my question that is a valid question that I think we should talk about this summer, and here's, here's what it is. Where does, where does joy come from, and at times, why does it seem so doggone elusive? I'm talking like real joy. I'm not talking like being polite. I'm talking about joy that just bubbles over people. See, I, I believe the scriptures, and I try to live my life as scripture lays it out for me to live, but, but sometimes when I, what I read in scripture and what I experience seem to be a bit disconnected. And I hope I'm not being too honest with you. Um, There are times when it feels like the weapons that have been fashioned against me are doing a pretty doggone good job. And I feel it. It's it's like somebody put this plan together to discourage or to to take me out or whatever the plans are. I don't know. And and you think, wow, that's a great plan. And I think it might actually work this time. You ever felt like that? Or sometimes, there have been times when I feel like maybe God took a break from being faithful to me. You know, it's like, uh, I know it says you're faithful, and I know like you're, you're supposedly like, you know, a sparrow falls to the ground, you know, and you know the hairs on my head and all that. But it seems like you sort of missed out on what's been going on this week. And there have been other times when I felt, well, pretty weak even discouraged and, and um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a little low. And, and I read something like the joy of the Lord, and, and that's nowhere on my horizon. I'm just, just being honest with you. So either there's something incredibly dark and wrong with me, which is a possibility, or there's something I don't yet understand about God's joy and me and how we relate. So there's a small book in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to spend some time there this summer. I'm excited about this. Uh, it's actually only got four chapters, so if you're not into Bible reading, just make it your goal this summer to read those four chapters. I'll tell you the book in a minute. But in this book, in these four chapters, the word joy is actually used like 14 times in this, in this one little book. And, and the book is often quoted in championship circles. If you see somebody win a fight or you see somebody win a game or a, a win a championship or whatever, and the competitor will look into the camera and they're smiling ear to ear, filled with joy after just winning, and, and they'll say something like, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And quoting those words is, is kind of ironic in that moment because of the context those words were written in. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's almost like we quote those words at the wrong times. We quote them when everything is up and to the right, but the words were actually written at a whole different period in time for the author and the people that received, received the letter. One of the cool things about the book we're studying is we actually have the backstory to this book. <clears throat> and the backstory is written in Acts chapter 16. Paul arrives in Philippi. Philippi is this Roman colony, which means there would be no Jewish synagogues, no Jewish tradition, nothing like that. It's a Roman colony, no synagogue. So while he, Paul is there, 
he has to find a place to pray. So on the Sabbath, he asks around, where do people go to pray? And he finds out they go out of the city, down by the river. And so he heads out of the city, goes down by the river to pray. And there he meets this lady named Lydia. And Lydia is a businesswoman extraordinaire. As she deals in purple, the selling of purple cloth, purple material kind of thing. So Paul meets her and ends up sharing Jesus and this gospel message with Lydia. And, um, and, and while that's going on, um, she and her members of her family accept this message of Jesus. And she asks to be forgiven for her sin. And, and then her and her whole family are baptized into this new faith. And so the little dialogue continues. And then um, Lydia finds out what Paul's doing in town. And she says, well, you can now come stay with me at, at my place. And, and I'll give you whatever you need while you're here ministering. And so Paul's living high off the hog at this point because, like, he's got, like, you know, great meals, got servants in the household, got a beautiful, you know, high thread count sheets, you know, all this kinds of stuff that's part of his kind of uh, living and mission field kind of stuff, and he's doing well. Well, a short time after this, Paul, who's traveling with Silas, are actually going back to that same place by the river to kind of for, for prayer, and while there, they're kind of harassed by the slave girl who was possessed by a demon, and that possession allowed her to tell people's future. And so uh, the people that owned this girl were making money off this girl's possession. Well, Paul cast the demon out of that slave girl. And I know there's a whole nother discussion that has to take place right there. We'll do it sometime, but it's not, it's not right now. So this whole other kind of possession thing, and then this, this, this girl, the demon's cast out, and we'll talk about that sometime. And, and all of a sudden, the girl can no longer tell the future because she's, she's not possessed anymore. And so when that happens, kind of the, the owners get upset with Paul and Silas because the girl was trying to predict the future, and they were making a lot of money off of her. And now she can't do it. So the owners of the girl gather all the men in, in the area, and, and they start beating Paul and Silas, you know, with sticks and, and, and throwing rocks, whatever you do. And, and, and then they actually end up having Paul and Silas uh, arrested. So they're, they're beaten by a mob, flogged after the arrest of the Scripture says, then they're stripped naked, and then they're thrown into jail. Now we need to pause here. Because we read over stuff like that and forget that these are humans, we forget that these are people who feel, live, experience just like all of us. Just like all of us. And you think today, if anything like that we just read happened, you know, we would be in therapy for years trying to figure out how to, how to move forward. So Paul and Silas, just, just so we're clear, were beaten by a group of men with sticks or bats or broom handles, whatever word you want to think about. Now think about that. People just like you stick upside the head, cross the face, cross the bridge of the nose, cross your back, whatever. They're beaten with those sticks. Imagine the bruises, the cuts, the lost teeth, the broken ribs, whatever. Then they're flogged, which is kind of like a whipping thing that was part of the justice system. And then after they're stripped completely naked, the scripture says, so they're beaten, flogged, whipped, whatever, and then they're stripped naked and then they're thrown into prison. No weapon formed against you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. All things work together for good. 
So, so just pause long enough to, to not give me the Jesus answer, but how would you respond to a situation like that? I mean, please tell me I'm not the only one in the room that would have this moment where I was like, yo, God, have you lost track? God, yo, <laughs> you know, maybe time for you to circle back around to this location where I'm at right now because this whole faithful business doesn't seem to be. Paul and Silas respond in a way that challenges me and has for most of my life. This is what Paul and Silas do. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Beaten, flogged, stripped naked, humiliated, thrown into a prison, and Paul and Silas have a hymn fest. There's something about that that is so foreign to me, and yet there's something about that that is so attractive to me. Fair? There's something about that, and you read, not only don't I don't know that experience, I'm not sure I know anybody who has that experience or would have that kind of response. I mean, I stub a toe, my kid goes through a difficult time, uh, I get mad at least, or something goes on at church, and and, and this isn't my response. This, my friends, is what we mean by joy bomb. This is what we're going to talk about this summer. The, the joy is so significant in an individual or group of indivi- individuals that it is powerful, it is disruptive, and everybody notices. That's a joy bomb. Whatever is going on in Paul and Silas, it was powerful and it was disruptive and everybody notices. Here's my question. Where in the world does that joy come from, and why is it not part of the modern church? (laughs) Why are we Christians not getting passing grades on this? How do Paul and Silas find joy in the midst of incredible, incredibly disturbing, life-altering circumstances like they faced? Because Paul and Silas and others in Scripture, even Jesus himself, I would suggest, reveal a very challenging truth to me. See if you agree with me. Joy, true joy, isn't dependent on circumstances. But it's rooted in something eternal. Now pause just long enough for me to say, I think this is in Scripture. I'm not saying I own this one. I think it's in Scripture. I think this is an area of growth that still is a part of me. Paul and Silas are physically beaten to a pulp, hurting, laying in some cold, damp cell with an uncertain future, and they sing, great is thy faithfulness, or amazing grace, or, you know, something like that. And their joy is powerful, it is disruptive, and others listen, it's noticed. And then the story gets even a little weirder. Because Paul and Silas are sitting in jail, they're singing along, everybody's listening to them, and then this happens. Suddenly there is this massive earthquake, and the prison is shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately fly open, and the chains of every prisoner falls off. When this happens, the jailer of the prison, keep in mind we're in Philippi, Roman colony, 
The jailer of the prison, who probably is a retired Roman soldier, thinks this is a jailbreak. All the prisoners are now free to go. The doors are open. The chains have fallen off. A whole bunch of prisoners running out of town. He thinks his life is over, and he'd rather deal with this on a personal level than face the consequences. So the scripture says he pulls his sword, ready to end his own life, and then Paul shouts out, hey, cool your jets there, Barney, something like that. We are all here. And as a result of this, the jailer says, what's weird about you and Silas, Paul? How can you all come in here and sing hymns after what happened to you? And then you have an opportunity to be free from this joy sucker, but you actually decide to stay in the joy sucker. And the jailer says, so what's up with y'all? And Paul tells him about Jesus. And then the scriptures say, that night, the jailer and all his family are baptized, become followers of Jesus. You know the irony of all this? You have now met the three main characters that will plant a church in Philippi. Lydia, a slave girl who used to tell people's fortunes, and a jailer who used to be a Roman guard. God will use these three people to plant the church in Philippi. About 10 years later, after all this happens, Paul writes a letter back to the believers, the jailer, Lydia, and the slave girl, in Philippi. And we actually have that letter in our scripture, which is amazing. Imagine the church at Philippi gathering much like this church might gather today. And, and we're gathering because rumor has it in the community that the apostle Paul has actually written a letter that will be read today. So everybody gathers to get in because they don't want to miss what Paul has to say. Keep in mind, this was a great time because there was no email, no text, no Facebook. So you actually had to talk to people face-to-face. So this is a wonderful time in human development, and we all get together, you know. We're all in this place, and, 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 and they pull the letter out from the Apostle Paul, spiritual father to many of them that were part of the church there in Philippi. And all of a sudden, the person who's getting ready to read looks across this congregation that's built, and there's the jailer and maybe the slave girl and then maybe Lydia, and he starts this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. How would that fly over you? How would that, how would that impact you? Joy, why? Because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day. And everybody in the room has these little memory trips about the first day. Oh, yeah, I was selling that purple cloth down by the, down by the river. Oh, man, I was chasing Paul and Silas around. Telling people's future. Being abused by owners. I was supposed to be watching the prison. I think because of your partnership, thank my God, uh, with joy, gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Why do you think Paul used that phrasing to the church at Philippi 10 years later? I mean, out of all the things he could have written, why did he use that phrasing? I mean, he could have said, I hear great things about what y'all are doing. You're feeding the hungry and you're caring for the poor. Your church is growing. But right out of the gate, he says, I remember you with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the spreading of this gospel. And remember you with joy because he who began a good work in you. What do you... What do you think was going on in Philippi that prompted Paul to write the letter? See, I've, I've been on this road for a while of following Jesus, and many of you have as well. Do, do, you think, do you think maybe Paul had heard Lydia and the slave girl and the Roman guard that things were... Do you think that just because the slave girl and Lydia and the Roman guard had Jesus, everything was now hunky-dory in their lives? Do you think they got on the Jesus bus and all of a sudden everything is cared for and we smile off into heaven? Do you think that's what was going on? Because, you know, once you're Bible people, you become like fairy tale people. Christians never have bad days or bad seasons. Christians never get sick, never get disappointed, never grieve, never get confused, never get betrayed, never feel anxious, never feel depressed? Or do you think Paul knew that maybe Lydia, maybe Tom, maybe Steph, Bill, Susie, and Walt... could actually still have some tough days ahead of them even after saying yes to Jesus. Here's a question, even if you don't believe, do you think Lydia might have experienced any impact to her business in a Roman colony as people found out she was a Christ follower? This is the same group, you remember, that actually killed Jesus. Do do you think the slave girl had any issues that she would have to work out in her life? Do do you think maybe she had some bad memories and histories and perceptions and difficulties of trust that she would have to work out? That you can't just sprinkle a little Jesus on and it's all going to be fine? Do you think that the Roman guard (laughs) had any difficult days being employed by Rome And then people hearing that he's now a follower of Jesus. And and what about us? Do, do Do you have days? Please tell me you do. Do you have weeks, maybe even seasons? Anybody else even have years? When the struggle seems like it's more real than the promise? 
Do you ever need the reminder that even on your worst day, God's working? Do you ever need the reminder that the one that was powerful enough to save you is also powerful enough to sustain you in what you're going through right now? You need the reminder that the one's powerful enough to start the work in you? Is actually, come on, is actually powerful enough to complete the work in you? You need that? Because if you got some of that, you could share, pour it in this cup right here, and I'm going to down it. John Ortberg writes this, the test of authentic joy is it is compatible with deep suffering. I, I would suggest that Paul knew the good people in Philippi would get discouraged in their faith. I I think Paul knew that joy leaks even out of good people like us. And when, when these people heard from Paul, they were hearing from a guy that they all knew had experienced suffering. He wasn't a TV preacher that everything was always great and people sent them money. But this was a guy who they all knew was an ordinary dude. But he'd actually experienced like shipwrecks and beatings and jail and prison. In fact, the letter he's writing right now is written from a prison to this church. And this happened in their midst. So when they read this letter, they're all looking. Hey, do you remember when? When Paul, you remember? They arrested him and Silas. Do you remember that? And the Roman soldier over here is maybe, he says, oh yeah, I was there. That was the day me and my family followed Jesus. I wonder, I wonder what the response of the crowd would have been the day this letter was read. Even more, I wonder if the crowd would have been bowled over when they got to verse 21 of Paul's opening remarks. When Paul wrote this, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die even better. Who, who can say that and not have someone screaming to put you on medicine or screaming to kind of get you some therapy right now? Paul writes that to this church. And he's writing again from prison. And yet even this letter from prison to, to people at Philippi is filled with this powerful joy. 
And his perspective is so challenging to me. Because his perspective is, I may die in jail or I may not. I mean, who says, if I get to live, great. If I die, even better. (laughs) Who says that? You know the opponent you never want to go up against? The one who isn't afraid to lose. Paul has this perspective I rarely see and even more rarely see in myself. Paul has a perspective that I'm not sure is part of our modern church, and I would just say he was joyfully fierce. You should maybe say fiercely joyful or joy of fierce, fierce of joy. But, you know, you add your own words, whatever you want to do, but this is kind of the general idea. I think Paul had this fierce joy, not this like, oh, everything's great, cotton candy, unicorns and rainbows. It wasn't that kind of joy. It was like, yep, this may cost me everything. Yippee! <laughs> I don't know if it's a yippee, but you know, just bring it. Bring it on. And, I th- and you know, how do you, how do you defeat that? How do, you, how do you discourage that? How, how does this person have a bad day? I think Paul had a tattoo that said, bring it on, baby, right across his lower back. I'm pretty sure that's where it was. Paul had a tattoo like that. I don't know if that's true or not. But maybe he did. Just says, bring it on. If I, if I live, great. If I die, even better. <laughs> He's not afraid to live. Are you? He's not afraid to fight. He's not afraid of illness or grief, or loss. He isn't afraid of the season he's in, the season he's coming out of, or the season he's headed into. He isn't afraid of shipwrecks. He isn't afraid of illness. He isn't afraid of challenge. He isn't afraid of being whipped, or being flogged, or being alone. I bet Paul was so filled with joy, he was obnoxious. Where did that fierce joy come from? I wonder if he got it a bit, at least from Jesus, because that seems like the right answer in church. Maybe from the followers of Jesus. Do you remember what Hebrews 12 says? I'll I'll remind you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who, that is Jesus, for the joy set before him. Now, make sure you follow this. This is... This is leading up to Easter moments, people. For the joy set before him endured the cross, shame, and now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm challenged by that part of Jesus, and I'm challenged by that part of Paul. Are you? Because I have discovered what maybe you have discovered. Joy based on circumstances is so stinking hard for me to manage, and it's impossible for me to control but I'm trying desperately to do both. If we are to find our joy from controlling our well-being, if we're to find our joy from controlling the well-being of our children, the well-being of our spouse, the well-being of our work environments, the well-being of our bodies, then we're going to lose. 
It's only a matter of time, and you know that, I know that. No matter how much I try to insulate myself, to pad my accounts, to build this impenetrable life, eventually something uninvited comes into it. I'm joyful as long as I'm healthy. I'm joyful as long as everybody loves me. I'm joyful as long as my finances are good or as long as I'm in control, as long as my relationships are well. Let me make one small adjustment to the earlier definition I gave you for this whole discussion. Fierce joy is not dependent on circumstances, but it's actually rooted in the eternal. So this summer, I want to invite you to journey with me in this. Not fake people, joyful people, people like Paul, people like Jesus. I'm not asking us to become coffee cup Christians, but, but what, if, what if fierce joy is something God desires to give us? To build us in. Paul's perspective to live is Christ, to die even better. That literally translates, living is Christ to me. And I'm grasping at this truth. I'm trying to find every little nuance that might have an impact on my own heart and life. And there is something about this part of Paul's character that produced this fierce joy in his life. And I'm attracted to it. I'm hungry for it. Aren't? aren't you? <clears throat> I think what I should do right now is I should tell you a story of someone that has fierce joy, pray for you, and go home. But that seems too trite to me. I, I want us to take a journey together here, and I don't want to pretend like I have this all tied up in a bow because I, I don't. Maybe that'd be a bit forced if I tried to offer you some kind of recipe for this. If it was easy, I think we'd all already have it, fair? But maybe I can offer a perspective as we do summer together in the alive community. Living is Christ, death is even better. I'm not sure about the whole death thing. I'm not even sure I want to have that discussion right now. So maybe we should let God kind of carry the death thing for a while. But we can look at the living part. And maybe that's something we could impact today. So I've written down this question and then a simple application point for our takeaway today. What am I doing that only makes sense because of Jesus? Go do more of that. <laughs> I thought that would bring more joy to the room. It didn't, didn't seem to have a lot of joy in you people. You're still kind of like, so what am I doing that only makes sense because of Jesus? And what do you say we do more of that? Because here's what I know about you. If you even right now are personally processing that, you long for you and your family to be part of a community that's doing that. 
This is a great way to live. An even better way to die. So, what are you doing that you're relentlessly seeking the face of God in your life? Do more of that. What are you doing where you sacrificially serve other people like Jesus? You should do more of that. What are you doing that would like invest in this next generation of people? Do more of that. What are we doing in a hopeless society and culture, it seems, to extend hope to people? We should do more of that. Whatever you're doing, it only makes sense because of Jesus. Let's do more of that as we go on our journey together this summer. Lord, thank you so much for your love and your goodness and your joy. Oh, man, Lord, no matter how many times I read your scripture, the challenges come rolling in fresh and new, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful, Lord, that you never leave us where we are, but you're always shaping and molding and teaching empowering us to become more like you. And Lord, oh, let it be said of the Alive community, that is a fierce, fiercely joyful group of people. Let it be said for all those who walk out of the doors of the Alive worship environment today, man, they got some joy up in that place. (laughs) And Lord, on a very personal level, as we all walk with you wherever we are. Some have walked with us for a long, with you for a long time. Some are just starting. Some are exploring. This week, as we live our lives, may this simple kind of rubric be used. Whatever I'm doing because of Jesus, I want to do more of that. In your name, amen.